Really nice job, Joe Scott. Really good. I appreciate the song selection and just the way you conduct yourself. So redheads have tempers, but they can also lead singing. I had, a, I had an apology. I meant to sing Jesus Loves Me this morning, and I just got distracted by this list of things I have to, to mention. And as, as people were going out, there's one lady, I th- it was a visitor. It, it was, she was visiting with her little girl, because I had not seen her before. I uh, didn't know her name, but she looked at me with a stern look, and she said, she made me bring her back here and talk to you. She has something to say. And she looked at me and she says, you didn't sing the song. And it was so serious, it terrified me. I don't know what it, what it was about this little girl, but anyway, so I thought, man, I'm going to write that on the top of my page every time. Don't forget to sing the song. So I apologize for that. Uh, I, uh, the singing this morning was really good. I thought Matt, uh, Matthew did a great job of selecting songs, and the same thing for tonight, and I'm grateful uh, for people who are uh, so capable of doing that. Not having that talent makes me appreciate those who do, and so I'm grateful for that. Exodus chapter 33 is where we'll be tonight. Exodus 33. This, um, we're going to go through this section by section, but I'll just kind of give you the idea of what it says, Moses uh, is told by God, uh, I'm, I want you to go. Get, God says, get up and go. Start leading this people. It's time to move. We've been at Mount Sinai for a year. It's time to move. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to take you to the land. We're going to defeat the, the nations of the land. That's the hardest part of the reading that Drew had. All those termites in the land. Just, just all those names. It's hard to read all the time. Uh, but he says, I've got to tell you one thing. It's, I'm going to send an angel, I'm not going. It was a preventative measure. If I go, I'm going to kill you all, every one of you, because I can't be in your presence very long. I just want to strike you dead. Feels like church camp cabin two at about three in the morning. If I stay in here one more minute, I'm going to kill every one of you. You know, and I don't want to do that. So to prevent that, I'm just going to leave you on your own, right? And so, but he, he says, I will send an angel. And when, when, when Moses tells that to the people, it's called, in my, the version I have, uh, people heard this disastrous word, verse 4. Disastrous word. This is awful. Now God said, I'm still going to send an angel. You're still going to get there and all the promises, but... I'm not going. And the people said, this is awful. I'm appreciating that they did. Then it goes to a scene of the tent of meeting where Moses meets with God over and over again. It's a regular feature. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then Moses gets with God and he argues with him some more. And God says, with Moses I talk face to face like with a friend. And there's not many people in Scripture who got that kind of treatment from God. But I want us to picture this for a minute. Abraham is also called a friend of God, you know. And Jesus with his disciples in John 14, 15, 16, that last discourse before the garden, he, he says with them, you're not just my disciples, you are my friends, and so I'm going to tell you what's about to happen. Friends, the word for friends in Greek means frankly, plainly. We talk plain. I'm not trying to hide anything from you. I reveal things to you. I share things with you that I don't share with everybody else. It's not all, I'm not this plain and free and open with just anybody. I I choose friends for this. And Jesus calls his disciples his friends. And 
and we have an opportunity to be friends of God. In this chapter, what I want us to do as we look at chapter 33 is look at what happens when you become a friend of God and what a friend of God, what characteristics are there. And the first one I want you to notice is this. When the people do hear that God's not going with them, that he's sending them an angel instead, they're devastated. They are just totally overwhelmed. And they say, you know, we're taking off all our ornaments. In other words, they all wore jewelry. Men and women, they all wore jewelry. And it was that jewelry that they used, or at least the first parts of it, they melted down into the golden calf, remember? But they still had plenty of it. And so they took it all off, and it says they never wore it again. They didn't wear it from this all the way on to Mount Hor. They didn't, they didn't do this. They didn't wear it anymore. They said, we are not going to have expressions of joy so long as God's not with us. So they're repenting, and they're brokenhearted, and... and and they're just devastated the fact that God would not be with them. The first thing I'm going to say about this is anyone who is a friend of God, the thought of being separated from God terrifies you. I will not live long in separation from God. And you know what separates you from God. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2, your sin separates you from God. The act of sin, bar none, is this. Your sin causes God to distance himself from you. And that's a devastating effect that you feel. Those who are really in tune with God, or at least striving to be, can feel when there's a distance between themselves and God. And it hurts. And they'll do whatever it takes to get rid of it. Adam and Eve, walking with God in the cool of evening, and they every day with God, they're sitting and having conversation, or they're walking and having conversation, and then suddenly they sin, and it's all over. They go hiding, and then when they come out of hiding, God has to drive them away from his garden, and they're never that close again. Sad, isn't it? It's the sad story of sin that will not be fully, fully overcome until again in heaven this all happens with this kind of unity. But we are given a right to be close to God. David knew this. Psalm 51, I want you to listen to this. This is the middle of that psalm about what he felt in the midst of that year of sin unconfessed. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He knew that God had the right and the ability to withdraw from him because of his sin. And he's begging God not to because I know what it's like to go without God's help. So those of you who have a little anxiety, a great verse to memorize, it's on a mirror at my house. It's Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Be strong, be courageous, don't be frightened, don't be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. But what if he's not? Can you be strong and courageous? Can you have no fear if he's not with you? The answer is no. That what gives you your calmness, what gives you your confidence, what gives you your courage, what gives you your boldness is you never go anywhere without God. The Great Commission, lo, I'm with you always. But what if he's not? Your sin can drive God away from you because he cannot be in the presence of such sin. And you know, the funny thing is there's some people who don't even notice when God vacates. 
There's some people who don't care enough, don't feel enough, don't sense enough God's presence, don't want him in their life, and when they live a certain way, God withdraws. Romans chapter 1, the person who knows who God is, don't give thanks to God. They don't give thanks to God, they don't praise him, they don't worship him, and so God says, okay, I'll give you over. You know what that means? I'll back up, get out of your life, and let you get on with life without me. I'll do that. He says it three times to these Gentile people. We live in a world where a lot of people are going really kind of without God's presence, and they don't even care. You may even remember that really sad statement about Samson at the end of them cutting his hair. What's it say? He did not know the Lord had left him. If the Lord leaves your life, will you even know? Can God just decide, you don't need me anymore, you're not listening to my spirit, you're not listening to my truth, you're not meeting with my people, I'm leaving. Would you even know? Would you even tell a difference? A friend would. The thought of being separated from God is devastating to those who are striving to be close. And God in his grace knew that we would sin, that we would mess up, and so what he gave us is, if you really want fellowship with me, you really want to restore it, and if this really bothers you that I'm distant, I'm going to give you repentance as a gift, and it is a gift. It is an amazing gift from God that allows us to become right again if all we do is come back to him and acknowledge specifically before him what we did that was wrong, apologize for it, and that unity is restored again. And those who are friends of God repent often. It is not a one step for all in the five steps of salvation. It is a daily posture. It is a daily activity in the life of a believer who really longs for God's presence. And so if you're a friend of God, one of the things that's true is this. It will be devastating when you feel a distance. Verses 7 through 11, I don't know what in the world it's doing here. I don't know what time frame this is. I think this is a regular feature, but there is no tabernacle yet. We've been given details of the tabernacle, but it doesn't exist. And so Moses just pitches this tent on the outskirts. It's outside. It's not, you see, the tabernacle is going to be in the midst of the people at all times, whether they're camping or traveling. The tabernacle stays in the middle because God demands to be in the middle of your life, not on the outskirts. But the tent of meeting, until the tabernacle is built, I'm supposing, is on the outside. And there, if somebody wants to know the will of God about something, they can go meet with God. But it doesn't sound like many people did. It sounded like mostly Moses. And so Moses would walk. He would get up and start walking to the tent, and everybody would notice. All the people at their tents would notice, and they would go to the door of their tent, and they would watch. And Moses would walk out to the tent of meeting, and he would go in, and the cloud of God would come down and block the door and stand there. The cloud of God would stand there and Moses would commune with God face to face, taking whatever the concerns of the people are to God and getting an answer. And the rest of the people, it said, would worship at the door of their tent. It's on the outskirts because these people still have the sin of the golden calf against them, so God's not going to be in their midst. He's going to be on the outside, at least for now. If you're a friend of God, listen, you want to meet with God often you want to take advantage god gives you this incredible privilege as a friend to meet with him at any time and we new testament believers this is especially true we can commune with our god any 
time, any time. And yet so often we're having to make ourselves just do it on a very minimal basis. But a friend wants to go. Not, we're not arguing about the assembly on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. Of course the friend of God is going to be there. But this is more often than that. Friends, you see, carry on conversations. Not just wanting something. They carry on conversations to stay connected. This is first, closely related to that first insight, and I liken it to marriage. Right now I'm reading these marriage therapy, uh, this one particular f- stream of marriage therapy, where it says most of our stresses in marriage are because we just get busy. We live in the same house, but we got kids, and we got our jobs, and we're going an hour and half the time it feels like we're just two strangers living together in the same house we're not connected we're not feeling like we are one and and because of that we feel the angst we we, we feel the pain of a separation that we're not on the same page and it comes across as we're going to reach out and try to make this connection but our efforts to reach out make the matter worse I'm, I'm kind of snapping at Melissa. I'm a little frustrated because of all... And, and really what I'm wanting to do is get on the same page with her, but this is not the way to do it. But that's kind of what anxiety is driving me to do. And she's doing the same thing. And what this therapy tries to do is to get you to calm down and get together and connect again. And when you do, when you're on the same page, you're a team. And you can take the world on. And a lot of pressure, money, sex, communication, all that stuff is not going to divide you two when you're on the same page. And it's the same thing with God. When you go long periods of time and you don't feel that connection, listen, you need to spend some time with coffee on your front porch and let God show you his favor for you. Can I tell you there are days when the sermon was bad on Sunday and I'm feeling just stressful and I'm a little bit snappy and irritable at home uh, nearly every evening. And and, and so when I'm feeling all that stuff, what, what Melissa knows and what everybody in my house knows is, man, he needs to go out on the porch. And that's where I go on the porch and God just says, I want you to know something. I don't care how bad your sermon was yesterday. I am crazy about you. You know, he says that to me every time. Now, you're going to sit there and say, you're saying you hear an audible voice. No, I don't hear no audible voice. But that's what he's saying is, it's not your performance It's you're my child, and I'm crazy about you, and some of you in this room need to hear that from him. But you've got to give him a chance to say it to you. You've got to give him time, and you've got to quiet your mind and quiet your life and let God tell you how crazy he is about you. You must do this, and you will get on the same page with God, and there's nothing that's going to mess you up after that. Too many people being too busy not knowing what God favors them. And Moses says, I'm going to come down to that tent as much as I can. There's this song in our song book. I'm not going to dare lead it. I almost thought, I'm going, to say, I'm going to see how good Joe Scott is and have him come up and lead it. I'm not going to do that. 827 in the psalm book. When this song becomes true for you, there's no more badgering yourself to go out and pray. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care. My mind is just going nuts with all these concerns. It calls me from that. It's like, come on, get away from that, come with me for a while. And bids me at my Father's throne, make all your wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare just by a sweet return of an hour of prayer. Has anybody ever been there before? 
You ever experienced this before? I'm not talking about you're making yourself sit down and, and what can I talk to God about? It's like it rescues you. You ever been rescued by an hour of prayer? Raise your hand. You ever been, has that ever happened to you? And if that ever happens to you, y'all, if that ever happens to you, you'll not complain about it again. You're like, man, I can't wait for the next one. That's when you're communing with a friend. That's when it becomes something you need so bad you won't miss it. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, the joy I feel, the bliss I share of those whose anxious spirits burn for strong desires of thy return. With such I hasten to that place where God my Savior shows his face. This is on my back porch and on the front porch. That's where he's at. For you it's going to be different. Where's that place? This song is a great thing. And this, this tune, this tone, this, this experience. Here in a few days, you're going to be given, everybody's going to be given this 40 days of prayer and devotion for Valley View Church of Christ. It's going to have the same reading. We're going to have devotional. We're going to have the same list of prayer. And then you're going to have a lot of your own stuff. But we are going to get on the same page with each other, with God together as a church. I'm not saying this is some magical formula, but this is a place to start. I'm just looking for an excuse for everybody to spend some time together with the same thought. And a church together on the same thought, which is also God's thought, because it's God's word, surely is going to be magical. I'd like to think so. If you're a friend of God, the thought of distance between you and Him just hurts your heart. And if you're a friend with God, you're going to meet with Him every time you have a chance. Not just on the official times when you have to because the elders tell you to. But because you need it to survive sometimes. That leads to a third observation. This, this zeroes in on the next paragraph where Moses and God are together. And I want you to see verse 12 and 13, especially the second half of verse 12. I know you by name. Moses says, you've said this, God. You told me. You know me by name, and I have found favor, or you have found favor in my sight. You've told me this, God. You've told me I know you by name, and you've found favor. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, now he's going to call in a favor. I've found favor, and I'm going to cash it in. I'm going to cash it in with a request from you, God, and here it is. Please show me your ways. Why? So that I can keep your favor. I love this. Moses is so wise here. He says, if I found favor, don't you dare leave. Instead, share your will with me so that I never get outside of your favor. When you have gained God's favor, the only thing you want to do is stay in it. The only thing you want to do is stay in it. It's like Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's got this incredibly precious moment between these two heroes of faith up there and Jesus. And he says, I want to stay here. Boy, I can, I can feel, I can sense, and I can see why he'd feel this way. Moses says, I want you to show me your ways. I want you to reveal to me your will because I don't ever want to do anything that loses this favor. And it, goes, it grows from here in, in something that's just... He contradicts God and proves that he was right. Here's what he does. The very beginning of this, God says, I can't stay with this stiff-necked people. I'll kill them, so I'm going to back away. Here and in the next chapter, Moses says, you need to stay with this people. Why? Because they are stiff-necked. 
How will we ever get over our stiff-neckedness if you leave us? It makes sense, doesn't it? God says, I can't stand you. i got to leave. And Moses says, if you leave, you'll never be able to stand us. You won't be making us into your image. Reveal to us your will. And there's another psalm that says this. That's one of the songs we sing. You ready? Unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my soul unto thee, O Lord? Do I lift up my soul, O my God? I trust in thee, so let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Show me thy way. Thy way, O Lord, show me thy way. Thy way, O Lord, O my God, I trust in thee. So let me not be ashamed, let not my enemies triumph over me. As another place, Psalm 25, show me your way. Now, we are New Testament believers, and here's the beauty of it. We have a full revelation from God. His, we are now in progressive revelation. We are at the completion of it. We have his will in writing in front of us, and so we don't have to say to God, show me your will. Moses didn't have that. To know what God wanted and to know what God was like he had to stay in communion with God, and if God cut off that communion, he wouldn't know, and then all of a sudden he'd lose his favor. I've got to know, and here's what the believer, here's what the friend of God says. God, I want to know what you love. I want to hate what you hate. I want to be burdened with what you are burdened by. I want to know what delights you so I can do it. I want to know what disturbs you so I can avoid it. I want to know how I can stay right in there with your will and not do anything that disrupts it. That's what a person who's a friend of God thinks. Do I have to do what the Bible says? Do I have to read it? Nope. As a friend of God, you'll want to. And that's what he says. And finally, this last part. This leads to the famous next scene of Exodus 34 that we're going to devour next time. But beginning verse 17, Moses begins to make an argument and says, God, there's one thing I want more than anything else. And this is always true of the friend of God. The thing he wants more than anything else is to see God face to face. Nothing will satisfy and thrill and delight the friend of God more than finally looking at God in his face. Now, no man can look at God and live. Isaiah got close. Everybody talks about he saw God. No, he didn't. He saw the, the train of his robe. The closer you get to God, the more dangerous you are. And that was close enough for him, right? That was close enough to terrify him. He just saw the train of his robe. And, and of course, Jacob apparently wrestled with him in some sense, but he didn't see him. It was at night, right? And the elders in Exodus chapter 24 saw the pavement under his feet, but never saw God. No one's ever seen God and lived. But Moses thought, you know, if I found favor, let me be the one guy. Let me be the one guy who you'll show yourself to. And you know what God does, right? Well, Moses, I love you and all, but... If you look at me, you will blow up. You will explode from the inside. I can't prevent that from happening because I'm just awesome, right? That's what God wants to say to him. But I'll tell you what I will do. You remember this scene? There's a song we sing about being cleft of the rock. 
God says, I'll hide you, I'll put my hand over you, and after I've gone by, you can look up and see me from the back. So often, if you ever see God, it's after he's passed by. You can't see him as he's going. And you say, what's that got to do with us? There's only one thing that will completely satisfy the friend of God. And that's to see the face of God. And you say, when that's going to... Listen to 1 John chapter 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall what? See him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself so that he is there. The person who just can't wait and really wants to hold out hope for seeing God one day, the the one thing he'll do is he'll keep himself pure from this world. Why? Why do we keep ourselves pure from this world? And why are we motivated? Because it's the one sure way. Keeping myself unspotted from this world is the way that I will one day see God face to face. And as a friend of God, that's the highest honor and privilege that we ever experience for eternity. And I plan to be there, don't you? Anybody else want to be there? Are you, you okay with just reading about him and then going to hell for the rest of your life? I hope not. You want to read about him and study about him and become like him? All with the hope that one of these days we walk up and look at him face to face. And that's when you'll know. You are a friend of God. So that's the characteristics in Exodus 33 of what a friend of God is like. The idea of being separated from him terrifies you, leading you to hate sin. You hate sin because you know what it does, but it also leads you to, when you do sin, you repent quickly. I can't stand the separation. You meet with him often, as often as you can, to get on the same page with him. You long to have his favor, and you long to stay in his favor by doing his will. And you want more than anything else to see him face to face, and nothing will obstruct that goal in your life, nothing. And I hope that describes you. I hope that's you. I hope tonight you came and, well, the only thing you did was tell me what I'm like. Okay, I just want to tell you what you're like. Given who God is, given what he has done for us, And how much he longs to be your friend. Why in the world would you not accept his friend request? Next screen. He wants to be your friend and he holds it out to you. Who in the right mind would not accept that? If for some reason you've not been accepting it, Time to accept it now as we stand and as we sing to encourage you.